This is episode 126 of Offscript with Trish Gloss, intimate interviews with interesting people. Joining me today via Zoom, I have Leslie Sobracco. We were just talking about your lovely last name. You married a, an, a, a man of Italian descent, and it, it's a good name. It, it rolls right off the tongue. It does. It's, it's got a very Italian, you know, yes. Italian sounding roll to the tongue is right. And that's my maiden name was Hartley. And so I had a, a, a little bit of an adjustment when, when I married Sprocco. A little bit, a <laughs> little bit. Well, for those who don't know you, uh, you're a TV host. You actually host 100 Days Drinks, Dishes and Destinations, which is just it's just dumb, Leslie. How did you get that job? We're going to talk about it. It is. It is. I'm telling you, that's a that's another mouthful of a title, isn't it? Between Sobraco and Drinks, Dishes and Destinations. It's good. Um, I, I have been a wine expert for the past 20 plus mm -hmm. years in travel and food. And I finally got it together enough a, a few years ago to work on a national program for PBS, um, basically just taking my life and putting it on screen, which means I'd pack a couple camera guys, my producer, and we'd hit the road and just start turning on the camera. I love it. We're going to talk about that because that's kind of your thing too, creating, taking your passion and making it into a career. And so I just have a ton of questions about that. Um, but also you're an award-winning author. Uh, you're a speaker, you're a consultant talking about wine. You've helped develop wine programs for companies, I mean, around the globe or around the country, just everywhere, it seems like. Everywhere. Well, mm -hmm. I well, I travel around the globe, obviously not in the last, uh, not last 12 months, but uh, 11 months. Um, but judging wine competitions, building programs, and, um, and yes, I've, you know, I've worked on programs for, restaurants and for corporations and places like um, Harry and David. So <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. We're, we have a little connection that way. Uh, where are you from originally, Leslie? Originally from Chicago. Hmm. I grew up in the Chicago area. So um, I went to school in Boston and then St. Louis and then moved out to California. So I, I'm now I've lived here so long. I'm now a California girl. I find it kind of hard to, to see all the snow you know, from all my friends <laughs> in I Chicago know. right now. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'm from uh, South Carolina and I've always said I'm, I'm a Southern girl, but I've lived on the West Coast for so long, I'm just like, Ugh, I'm half and half, I'm 50-50. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, Boston, you went to school in Boston. Uh, well, first let's get back to Chicago. What was it like growing up in Chicago? Were you like in a suburb of Chicago outside of there? We were, we were in a suburb of Chicago. My father was an airline pilot and so, um, we grew. I grew up in a family of five kids, and uh, back then, back then, back in my day, um, we could just get on a plane and go places. Mm -hmm. And so my parents did that. They would just throw all five kids and get on a plane, and we, you know, would go to Europe. Or um, we actually, I was born in Denver, Colorado, and we, you know, had had a lot of family there. So we'd fly, get get kind of load up on the plane, go and watch a Broncos game, and then fly home, and then. <laughs> So it was uh, it was an idyllic way to grow up because, you know, I got to see a lot of things and do a lot of things simply because my parents, you know, that was an important value to them. And I've carried that through with my kids. But but I also learned how to pack. My mother would basically say we have one suitcase or two suitcases for five, five kids and uh, and two adults. You all get about this many clothes. And so I've still I can still go to Europe for two weeks in about this many clothes. Oh, honey, <laughs> let's talk about that. What are your tricks? You just like stuff things and other things? You know, I'm a roller. I do roll. Okay. Um, 
And uh, I reuse things for a lot of, you know, double use purposes. And so I have, um, I, I wear a lot of either black or brown, and then I do a lot of scarves. People always joke that, uh, that I'm always scarfing, um, but I wear scarves. And in my new show, I wear a lot of hats um, because I'm having a bad hair day or something. So, so you know, I just, I, I use a small core wardrobe and then I, uh, and then I accessorize okay. to the hilt. Well, very small you're smart. You're smart. Is there anything packing that you splurge on? Is there anything that you're just like, nope, I'm not going to, I'm going to take this many of this. Is there anything that you splurge on in your suitcase? You know, I am a, um, I am a jewelry wearer and collector. So I do carry, I do bring a nice jewelry, not full case, mm -hmm. but um, I splurge on buying jewelry when I'm in places and um you know that has a unique memory of it mm -hmm. and then i i you know i do carry that along with me i don't just bring a pair of earrings and that so. i gotcha i gotcha so you you had the travel bug it sounds like from very early on that was a part of family that was a part of growing up traveling absolutely i mean we didn't know anything different we just grew up and and took you know took a plane somewhere and so um i always just uh, was of the elk you know, of getting on a plane, you know, why don't you just right. get on a plane? What's such a big deal? You just get on a plane. <laughs> Have you been going crazy lately? It has been something, let me tell you, from somebody who traveled, you know, for yeah. many, many, many years, about 100 to 150,000 miles a year, it, um, it, it's been a shocking year and surprisingly nice, mm -hmm. actually. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm going to find it hard to get back in this summer slash fall. I think it will be a, um, it'll be a shock yeah. to get back into traveling. It's kind of nice not to have to worry about getting on a plane and catching those 7 a.m. flights. <laughs> I bet. Especially, red eyes. Yeah, especially red eyes. out of, I've flown in and out of San Francisco, and I know you're sort of near that area. Um, that's not fun. San Francisco airport. <laughs> No, and you know what? I live up in white country in Sonoma, and so it's an hour to the airport. I try to time it so that I don't hit traffic. But um, you know, it's it, to get to the to the East Coast to do the Today Show when I would regularly, you know, be live on the Today Show. I would do a lot of of overnight flights, a lot of red eyes. Right. So you'd get on at you know at twelve thirty in San Francisco and land in New York at you know six thirty and be in the studio for a show at seven thirty or eight. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Oh man. Oh man. Where are you in the lineup of your siblings? I'm second youngest. So my oldest sister lives in France and actually I shot a, um, she's lived in France for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I shot one of my 100 days episodes in, uh, at her house in Normandy, France. And so she has this big, beautiful old chateau that she and her French husband renovated and raised a bunch of kids in. And, um, and it's in the French countryside, very near uh, where they make Calvados and all the apple trees and mm. camembert cheese and, and the city of Rouen and just this wonderful, you know, truly the French countryside. And so I, I brought one, that one to life by, by uh, shooting an episode of the show there. Um, and then uh, brother and then another sister than me, then a sister in San Francisco. So okay. five of us. Okay. So you're kind of, you're like on the baby scale of the family, on the baby scale. Yeah, well, we're all old now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So was wine and food important growing up in your family? 
It was, you know, we grew up in the Midwest. It wasn't, and we grew up, like I said, outside of Chicago. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't that we would, we lived in wine country, like the experience my kids get, you know, where food is such a center of our lives yeah. and, and fresh food and fresh vegetables and fresh cheeses and, um, and things like that. But my father be, being a very, you know, being a pilot and a well-traveled person, um, I remember having, and he passed away very young, sadly, but I remember when I was about um, 10 or 11, and he uh, opened a bottle of wine. He had a lot, you know, he enjoyed wine and he opened a bottle of wine at the table and said, here, you want a little splash of this? And I can still see the bottle. It was a bottle of Sterling, which is over in Napa Valley. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember tasting it and thinking, yuck, <laughs> right, at that age. But like in Europe, you get a little watered down sip, you know, when you're, when you're a kid. Um, but yes, it was around the house and, you know, certainly we ate together and we, you know, my mom was a cook, so it was central to growing up, you yeah. know. And Absolutely. I find too, when that's, cause I, I, when you are, when you get to experience something like that, like dad says, hey, have a little taste of this wine. It's, you know, it's off limits to you as a youngster. And the fact that you're getting to taste that makes it so special. And I think that does stick with you. Mm -hmm. It does. And it, and it, you know, I've always approached wine as a food, as a part of, of the table, as a part of what you do. And, and the joy for me of wine, and it still continues to this day after 20 some odd years of doing it professionally, is that there's always something to learn, always something to learn. And the same with spirits and, um, and food and travel. I always feel like my brain is being challenged, you know, and that, that's what I love about it. I've interviewed a couple masters of wine who say that exact same thing, that it's just so big. The topic is just so huge that they never stop learning about whether it's different wine regions or different trends with winemaking you know, or marketing. There's so much about it that it's a continual thing that you're just always learning. You're always learning about it. And even though you know 95% more than the rest of the world, it's, it's still, you know, you're, you still feel like you, it's such a minuscule amount that you know. Um, and, and that, again, that's the joy. And I, I agree with, you know, with colleagues who are uh, master sommeliers or masters of wine or, or any of us who do this for a living is that you do always get to explore something new. And there's always, oh, wow, I don't know about this new wine from Mount Etna in Sicily or, you know, this new wine growing region in Chile, you know, down in Patagonia or, you know, there's always something crazy and fun to learn. And that's when you really geek out about it. That's when we all get to see your nerdy side of like, oh, my gosh, this wine kind of just nerd out over it. What did you go to right. school? And I'm I'm a I'm a wine geek, but I don't <laughs> do the wine geek speak. You know what I mean? I, yes. I make things. I make things accessible and fun. Wine is not, we shouldn't, you know, I, I, I hate it when people say, and I, I hate it, it's a strong word. When people say, oh, dumb, you know, you're dumbing down wine. I said, no, that, I, that, that's not even true because I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make wine accessible for people um, to understand and enjoy. Again, I don't go out and I don't know anything about carburetors and going out to get my car repaired and things like that. I, I'm, I'm hoping somebody explains it to me in a way that, that makes sense to me. Um, I, you know, I'm a very smart person and I just, that's just not one of my knowledge bases. That's okay. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean I, I don't get my car fixed. Right. So same thing is just because you, you don't do it 24 seven, like I do 
doesn't, it, everybody should enjoy it. And that's the way I like to think of myself as a translator. I, I do the wine geek stuff because I'm fascinated by it, but then my job is to translate it, mm -hmm. to make it, um, to make it, you know, sort of have a nice touch point for somebody that have it make sense to them. And thank goodness for that, because I think you're absolutely correct. You can geek out on it, but you don't speak geek, and that's important, especially when it comes to something like wine. Um, you went to school in Boston, you said. What did you go to school for? I was going to be a, um, a lawyer and then a politician. What? <laughs> what? So I went to school in Boston and then transferred to finish up at Washington University in, in St. Louis and then spent a year overseas in England. Um, and I really did think I came, I moved out to California after college and I thought I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to then get into politics. And let me just say my career path turned out to be a much better option, in my opinion. <laughs> a little bit. What happened? I enjoy, I enjoy life a little bit more. I yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> so what happened? Um, I realized I didn't, when I moved out after college, first of all, I just said I need a break after college. Mm. I didn't really want to go back into studying right away. And, I, and at that point, I, um, I got into doing um, on-camera work. Frankly, I did a lot of television commercials and, and um, things like that. And it wasn't that I was an actress. I wasn't. It was just um, I sort of fell into doing on-camera work, which was something that was very natural for me. And um, from there, I, as I was doing that, I was discovering wine because when you live in San Francisco, it's very easy <laughs> to, to live surrounded and saturated with wine, surrounded by and saturated with wine. Yeah. Uh, it's the culture. And so for me, it was just learning as a passionate consumer. And when I was starting to learn about wine, people weren't taking every WSET, Wine and Spirits Education Trust classes, or there wasn't the amount of accessibility to learn about wine. So I just did it by getting my hands dirty, visiting wineries and, you know, tasting with friends who, I, who would, you know, buy bottles with me and things like that. So was there ever a moment because you're, you said TV work, and then you said you were learning about wine. Was there ever a moment where those two worlds started to do this? They did, and that's that, you know, when, when people ask me, oh, how'd you get your job? What a cool job. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and my, my answer is I made it up. You know, that is my, I made up my job. So um, it, it was that moment, Trish, where I said, okay, I'm really getting into wine. I don't think I want to be an attorney. I'm making, you know, money doing some television commercials and things like that. And um, I was actually many years ago, a hand model, wouldn't know it now, um, but poked the Pillsbury Doughboy and all sorts of funny things like Stop. that. Really? <laughs> a little known trait. Yes. Oh, yeah. I can still do the, the Doughboy poke right there. That's going to go in the title. Poked the Woo. Pillsbury Doughboy. That's right. I did the salad shooter and the tater twister and the presto. All Look those at you. Who knew? Hilarious. A very crazy career path. I just remember saying that they, I remember, yeah, I was never a model or anything, but they said, you have beautiful hands. Have you ever thought about being a hand model? And I, I was on a commercial audition and I said, no, <laughs> but I'll do it. And I said, you know, in my early twenties, I went, but will you pay me? I'm going to pay the whole person. Right. So, um, so yeah, so for many years I did, I was, I was, uh, I knew that I knew the Doughboy very, very well, let's just say. So, um, yes, 
So it was a, a, a little, uh, <laughs> a little strange little detour in my career. And, um, but so I, I basically knew at some point that, okay, my, my experience was on camera communicating, writing. I eventually started producing some things for myself and, and, but this passion for wine was growing and growing. And I thought, what can I do where I take advantage of what I know how to do and what I love doing? Where are those crossover points? And that's what I did. And I started just producing little, you know, training videos for wine companies and doing a local little PBS station, um, working harvest sort of, you know, little documentary. And that's how most my foray into it. I just said, here's what I want to do. Here's what I know how to do. Let's figure out a way to do those together. Fascinating. And you, at this point, were you, were you just sort of looking at the, the lawyer side of things was getting further and further away and these things that you were really loving were actually coming more clear, more in focus? More in focus and when you get your first paycheck writing an article about wine, then you're hooked. You know, then it was, wow, $50? Oh, wow, this is amazing. Um, but it started me down that path of saying, I can do this. You know, and that is when I, when I speak to groups about how to turn your passion into your career, I always started off by saying, um, you know, I drink for a living. You can do anything you want. <laughs> people, pay me to, people pay me to drink and talk about it. So, so you want to be a jewelry maker or, a, you know, an artist or a, whatever you want to be, you can do that. And there are ways, especially now, to generate income and figure out a creative path to doing it. Did you ever have to have this sort of assessment with yourself, like, what are my talents? And kind of listing those out. Here, here are Very my much. strong points. Here's what I, I re I'm really good at. And here's what I love. How do I combine those, right? Very much. That was, I'm a list maker and those were my lists. What I'm good at, and after having, um, you know, I worked harvest just for experience and just for, because I loved wine and I wanted to learn about it. I took, you know, winemaking courses at UC Davis and I realized that, that the production side, pretty early on I realized the production side of making wine was not my strength. Um, I know how to do it. Uh, my husband and I have done it in the garage, you know, a number of times, um, a number of vintages, decent stuff, not bad. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah, it's drinkable. Um, <laughs> and, but I, I, that was not really what I wanted to do. So I would say to people, you know, you do, you do have to experience some things. You do have to try and say, okay, production side is not, you know, it's not what I'm the best at. Maybe I'm the best at communicating, talking about things, um, doing what I said earlier, translating, you know, what, what do I know and how do I make that resonate with people? So those were my lists saying, I, I can talk, <laughs> I, can, um, I can engage people and I can write. And, you know, certainly that's what I learned in college. I take away from my liberal arts, you know, political science education was that I learned how to write. And that skill comes in a handy in so many ways. I find sometimes it is, it's difficult for me sometimes. Um, and I don't have low self-esteem whatsoever, but it is difficult to say, this is what I'm good at with gusto. Because I feel like some, at some point I'm kind of bragging about it a little bit, but you have to do that, right? You have to really be honest with yourself. 
you have to, and you say, what am I not good at? Yes. What am I, and what am I most comfortable with? And what am I um, happiest doing? So, you know, if you get up and you know that you have to, you know, I, I get up and I know I get to talk about wine, taste wine, judge wine, um, write about it, try to think of something creative to talk about, whether it's on camera or in print. Um, but if I had to get up every morning and, you know, do the chemical analysis of wine, that would, that's not me. I would not be happy and I, it would not be me. But for some people, that's, that's their joy. So you have to, you know, you do, you do have to find your joy and you have to really be honest with yourself to say, what am I good at? And is that what I want to do? Right. Exactly. Nailed it. I have a friend here who is a winemaker, owns a winery. And I told him on my bucket list, I've always wanted to work a harvest, like get in deep and work a harvest. And he said, yeah, we, we can make that happen. Then he told me about a story like sometime after being 12 hours doing harvest and he goes home and he takes a shower and then the next morning he found like an, an earwig the little bugs that are all over grapes just somewhere crawling on him i said nope no more harvest for me i'm out well and that, and that sort of went after working some harvests and and you know really getting my hands in the dirt and and you know i love to walk vineyards with winemakers and viticulturists i love to get out there and learn about it i love the intellectual pursuit of it mm -hmm. but the actual physical <laughs> piece of it was not for me. Amen. So, you know, I got to be honest with myself. It's not for me. Again. With the, you know, the purple stained hands, the, you know, the, the tongue that's cracking from all the, you know, all the, yeah. the harsh, uh, you know, tasting that you're doing at the beginning of the process. All that stuff, not for me. Yeah. And again, you have, like you said, you have to be honest with yourself and, and really dig deep and go, is this something that I would want to do? And if the idea is like, no, then you got to move on from that. Right. And you can still integrate. For example, I was doing a mentorship call um, uh, this past week with some younger women who were getting into the wine business. And one of them, of course, was getting a PhD at Cornell in, in you know, wine physics. I, I, it's just incredible what she was, right. you know, learning. It was I consider myself, like I said, an intellectual person, but this was, I couldn't even understand what she was saying. And, um, but her real passion after she analyzed it was communicating and talking about that in a way that she could, I said, you're a translator, that that's what I, that's what I say I am, you know, your level is it <laughs> different in terms of what you're studying and your passion for that portion of wine. But her, she really examined herself and said, I want to share that. I want to write about it. I want to talk about it. How do I do that? Fantastic. You know? So you're getting deeper into this industry. When does it occur to you for this shit? Let's just talk about 100 Days Drinks, Dishes, and Destinations. Did that, did that come to you? Was that an idea from someone else? Nope, it was my idea. Um, and it, it really came the genesis of the show because I've been filming um, a show here on PBS in, in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area called Check Please Bay Area, which originated in Chicago, the concept. Um, but we've been going for 15 seasons, three Emmy Awards, and um, yay, right? <laughs> I can put them in each of my bathrooms now and then use them as toilet paper holders. That's what they're doing. Um, I love it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, it was, it's been such a popular show, but the show is a format. It's a me behind a desk. with It's live to tape. We do three shows a day. It's about restaurants, and but it's other people's opinions. And so my 
you know, my ability there is to really manage the people and keep the, the show um, going and again, keeping it, keeping everything moving since it's live to tape. Um, but my real life outside of that, and it's such a popular show, but outside of that would be traveling to wine regions, learning about wine, being a wine expert, being a wine consultant, a wine speaker. And whenever I would post things on social media or talk about things, everybody would say, I want to come with you. I want to come with you. Can I come with you? And that was the genesis and the idea of the show was just come with me. I want to take you with me. It's not a highly produced show. I mean, you've watched the show. It's um, we've done. It's my it's my producer that I partnered with from my years at Check Please. And so she it would basically be we would come up with a concept for each episode Mm -hmm. from places I visited, um, things I wanted to showcase and see and show everybody. And then it would come from a little bit of crowdsourcing. We'd say, okay, we're headed to Nashville. Recommendations, folks. You know, what's the best? See if there's some crossover there. Um, But mostly it's from the people that I know that live in these places. Um, And so we do pre-production, of course. You have to, as you know, um, to make it. It's not a high-budget show. We shoot a show in four days, 26 hours of footage for a 26-minute show. Crazy. And... um, and we would leave room for magic. So we would get there, we'd you know, start at seven in the morning, go till seven, eight, nine at night, you know, 12, 14 hour days, as you know, and we would leave room for magic. So we'd get in all our things that we had planned to shoot and then things would just happen. And those are the best, right? Huh? Those are the best, right? The magic? Those are the best. And I'll tell you a quick story. Please. We were in, oh, we were in Mexico shooting a show on, because I'm a tequila lover as well. So we were shooting a show. <laughs> I love tequila. Same. And, uh, and I've been to tequila. Tequila is a place. It's a town named after the tequila volcano and in, in uh, Guad- outside of Guadalajara in Jalisco. And so we were filming in the food scene in Guadalajara is crazy. And it's such a historic spot. And then we were, you know, driving to the hour and a half, two hours outside to, to the town of tequila to do filming. And so we had a little, our small crew, we hired a driver in a small little bus. And we, it was early in the morning as we were heading up to Tequila to shoot. And as we were driving out of town, we were about an hour out of town, you know, just about entering the border of, Hali, of you know, where te- Tequila is. And, um, and we looked out the window and saw, and it's very rural, and we saw a family on the side of the road, kind of, you know, outside their house, but there were four cows lined up and people lined up behind them and they were drinking something. And I, you know, we said to the driver, what's going on? And he said, oh, that's, it's it's unique to this place. It's called a pajarete. And we said, wait, 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 turn around the van, turn around the van, hurry up, let's go film this. And basically what happens is all the workers before they go out into the agave fields would go to these little uh, pajarete stands and um, in an earthen mug they would pour dry, uh, coffee grounds maybe a little hot chocolate um, dried hot chocolate add a humongous shot of tequila light it on fire in this earthen mug then walk over to the cows and freshly milk the cow into the mug what and so it was like the best latte you've ever had in your life you know with a little tequila and the freshest milk and we said let's do this and we just jumped in line we asked them if we could film it and we filmed it we would wow. never have planned that and it was one of the best moments of the show you for know sure 
I call those non-events, like when you go on vacation and you're just sort of wandering and you go into a cafe or a restaurant and it turns into this, you know, what was going to be a two-hour thing now is a four-hour thing because you're talking with Absolutely. people. They're non-events, but that's those are like the best parts about life and travel and all of that's that. That's the best part of it. And I call them the magic moments. And that's what we try to capture on camera is, uh, you know, doing enough pre-production and planning you know, 75% of it to allow us to have the time for magic moments because that's what that's what really is compelling on cam on camera and on the show. Fantastic, so. for sure. 26 hours into 26 minutes? Your poor editor. Oh, my editor is great. <laughs> yeah, he's he or she is fantastic. He, and and he, I have two editors and um but we use some of that footage in compilation shows and things like that, sure. but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot because it's not a linear show. You know, we right. don't just say it's 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 how how all the puzzle pieces fit together in the end. So, um, it's something to film a travel show. There is no glamour. So, <laughs> noted, noted. And you will notice you will notice that in in my 100 days, I have a lot. I wear a lot of hats, as I mentioned before, because. <laughs> When you are on the road for four days and you are not redoing your hair and you've been filming for 12 hours, guess what you wear on day three and four? Hat. <laughs> okay, I'm taking notes. That's a, that's a good call. <laughs> um, have there been any other situations in your travels where it was just a shoot gone wrong or something that just, you know, maybe something wonderful happened like the incident in Mexico? Like, I'm just curious, it, anything that really sticks out to you? Oh yeah, no, we've had plenty of shoots gone wrong. And one of them was we were filming at the amazing Biltmore Estate in, um, in North Carolina, in yes. Asheville, North Carolina, right? And so we, were, uh, we, we had filmed all this beautiful footage. We had drone footage. We had just this gorgeous, um, you know, pieces of, of the show at the, from, from the Biltmore. But then we wanted to film the rest of Asheville and what else was to do in Asheville. And so we were doing the beer, you know, the beer wagons where you pedal around yep. or the beer bikes, you know, and you pedal around and you, and we were, we were going to grab some great footage of me hiking at Chimney Rock Park. So very famous Chimney Rock, uh, gorgeous, gorgeous in the, you know, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And, and so we had set up to have a guide meet us there and we were going to do hiking and, um, and of course, as we're driving and leaving a restaurant in the morning, filming with the chef, we, our van gets, blows out, the tire blows out. Oh no. <laughs> we... We're trying to scramble. We're trying to get. We, anyway, long and short of it is, we miss the guide. We miss filming our, our little window of time to film it. We finally get to the park. Our guide is gone. Essentially, you see me kind of pretending to huff and puff all these stairs when, in actuality, I took the elevator. You know, and um, <laughs> because we didn't have time to do all this, and then we had to hire somebody to go back and get some background footage of you know what I would have been doing hiking through the forest and Love things it. like that. You know, so there are many things that go wrong that can be can be fixed in post. A lot can't, but you know, oh, yes. some of it can. I'm, we pieced it together, not in exactly the way we had imagined it, but you know. I'm aware. As long as the viewer, yeah, the viewer doesn't know, it it doesn't matter. Nope. nope. What uh, What's one of your favorite spots that you've traveled to? Oh, I've traveled to so many wonderful spots. Um, I'll I'll have to say that 
going to Vienna. I loved shooting the show in Vienna. We shot, um, Ama Waterways was uh, one of our partners, the port cruise lines right now, but uh, river cruises, very high-end river cruises. And we filmed in Budapest, which I love as well. I have to say Budapest is an amazing, amazing city. And um, we filmed in a neighboring wine region called Tokai, which is so incredibly rich with history. Mm -hmm. um, but I hadn't been back to Vienna as a kid uh, and since I was a kid with my parents and my family. And, um, and so it's a really personal show that we shot in Vienna. You know, my, my sister in the middle uh, of, the, of the family passed away from cancer. And so I, I, we hadn't been there. So we lit a candle, you know, um, in the cathedral for her. And it's just a really personal show. So, and it's such a beautiful spot, Vienna. So I think you just never know what you're gonna get when you're shooting a travel show. And that's the joy of it. And you find too, some of the places that you visit, some speak to you and some don't. Right, and, and you know, but when you're filming, you've got to make the best of it. <laughs> we don't have the luxury of saying, you know, of a big crew and, and you know, food you know, trucks on right. the set and all this. No, 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 we're lugging our stuff in little wheelies and backpacks and, you know. Perfect. Well, I, I love that. That's, that's respectable right there. I mean, it's, it really, it shows that this is truly your passion and you've created something beautiful out of it. Well, and it's real. I mean, it's very, right. very real. When I said the beginning and the idea of the show was people saying, I want to come along with you. They truly are because mm -hmm. they're seeing just about everything we're seeing. You yeah. Know? Fantastic. I, I am curious. Um, are you guys, are you still filming? Well, once you're able to travel, is that going to pick back up? We are working on that right now and hopefully can do some domestic um, versions. I, I, we did a lot in California, of course, for the first season. Um, and it's now on 300 stations nationwide and in Canada. So, um, uh, you know, chances are it's in uh, most people's markets. Mm -hmm. And so we did film quite a bit of California footage. I'd love to come up to Oregon. We're going to plan to come up to Oregon and Washington to film. I'm a huge fan of, of the Willamette Valley um, and, of course, you know, where you are in yeah, Medford, Southern but, Oregon. Um, Southern Oregon yeah. is a booming little wine industry right now. Oh, Valley, there's so much going on. So, and I like to find esoteric spots. I like to bring people to places they wouldn't necessarily think about. And so, um, the plan is yes, that we'll hopefully get to move forward in the next couple months with filming domestically, low, you know, on the West Coast most likely, where you don't have to load a crew too much into a plane and all the luggage. And then hopefully, I'm knocking on wood right now, um, coming back to international travel next year and getting the shows on. Fantastic. I, fingers I am, crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'll keep them crossed for you. Um, I do, reading about you, um, one thing I want to get back to turning your passion into a career, because that's what not only you've done for yourself, but you help other people, mm -hmm. specifically women, kind of figure that out, right? I mean, how, how to take what you love and, and make that your day job. Absolutely, and I've done it through speaking, I've done it through mentoring, I've you know, done it through a, a multitude of, of platforms and, and you know, just being able to educate and share. I, that's what I do so much of my career is education about wine, about food, about spirits, about travel. And when I see that light bulb go on in somebody's head that, wow, I get this, or 
you're kidding, I can do this? Mm -hmm. I really can do this. That empowering moment is what makes it all worth it. And so I always say, you know, you absolutely, if this is something you want to do and you're passionate about it, it's not an easy route. When people ask me, how do you get paid to write about wine? <laughs> I said, you don't get paid a lot to write about wine. It's doing all the other things that you that you love doing, speaking, educating, all of those other things. But um, there is a path. You have to carve your own path, but there is a path and you can do it, period. If, if Leslie now could talk to Leslie then when she was on the path of becoming a lawyer and, and going into politics and then started doing camera work and started, what, what would be the first thing you would tell her? Don't do it. Don't go to law school. <laughs> Come to that realization earlier. Come to the dark um, side. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't don't waste time going down that path. Yeah. Um, but life is a is a yellow brick road, isn't it? It's always winding like this, and you know, you you some of the excitement is that you don't know where that's going to end up, and and you know, I I look back at my I'm still very very close with the the girlfriends that I grew up with, not only in high school but grade school and uh, back in Chicago. And, you know, they say, this doesn't surprise me at all that, that this is what you're doing because you were always the, the class leader and the, mm -hmm. you know, most likely to succeed. And that because you were a communicator, a talker, an educator. And, and so it's just the topic that's probably a little bit different, but and I don't think I'm surprised. I'm just glad I found something that I was passionate about and um, fairly early on in my career and have been able to, through a lot of hard work. That's the number one thing I say to people. Yeah. There's no shortcut to the work. You can make it look easy, but that takes a lot of preparation, right? If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And um, so with a lot of hard work and focus and self-awareness, you can find something that you love doing and make a living at it. For sure. And I think it's also what you hit on earlier is that you do have to be very honest with yourself and what is your passion and is that really your passion? I think sometimes we go, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this and it's maybe not necessarily what really our passion is. So it's, it's being honest with yourself in that. And, and knowing your skill set, again, knowing what you're exactly. good at and, and what resonates with you. So you know, my skill sets could transfer to a number of different topics. It's just that wine was the topic that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And so trying to find that is, you know, is important. I, I interviewed Sarah Moulton a, a few weeks ago, and she said something that just really has always, it's just stuck with me that she found something that she not only loves that she could get paid doing. And then she said, you know, I just really feel bad for those people who have to take a paycheck that they aren't doing what they really, really want to do. It, it breaks my heart and it breaks mine too. I, I, you know, you just wish that everyone could sort of find their passion, find what they really love and then go for it. That's right. And, and it takes time. And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, people say I have three or four or five different things that I love to do. How do I figure that one out? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I love art. My daughter's an artist. I love art. You know, and we always said you can, you can make a career out of art. You're so talented. Um, you can do that. And, um, 
but she went and got a marketing degree and she's now getting a master's in graphic design. She's able to now marry those two because early on we said to her, you're so good at this, you love it. When she was two years old, she would come downstairs waiting for the crayon table and say, mommy, I need, I need to draw. Not just I want to draw, I need to draw. And, um, and that we've always you know, pushed her in that direction saying, you're so good at this, you're mm-hmm. so good at this. And that's how she figured out how to make it work together. She's, she'll have a career doing her art and, and you know, utilizing her skills. So I think it's, it is a lot of self-awareness and it's asking a lot of questions and it's yeah. trying things. Yeah, good point, good point. What good stuff, Leslie Sabraco. Well, thank you, Trish. What a pleasure to speak to you. Well, we're not done yet. Hold on. We're going to wrap up, but we're not done yet. Oh, good. I was going to say, I can't wait to share a glass or five with you. Please. Oh, my goodness. One of these days. And I was watching, it was a show, I saw it like maybe a year ago, and that's when I put you on my list because I'm like, I have to talk to this woman. You were, we talked about this over the phone. You were drinking wine in like a tasting room, and they brought out this little bowl of potato chips that just looked like regular potato chips. You had one and then almost fainted on the couch and you said, those are truffle potato chips. And I just stopped. I'm like, I need to talk to her because that is my weakness. Truffle potato potato chips and champagne would be my last meal okay. right there. Okay. Anything, anything. I'm a huge sparkling wine lover, yeah. champagne lover. I have one tattoo on my body and it's of a, a glass of rosé champagne and it's on my leg. I got it on the TV show, LA Inc. And it's this wonderful, sort of beautiful, very colorful, takes up my whole calf. And I thought, you know, I got it when I wasn't in my 20s. So I said, the most important thing is to put it in a place that, you know, that doesn't sag. So let's spin my mom around, take a peek at her, see if we're in good shape, right? And then I thought, even if I got this beautiful tattoo on LA Inc. and and it takes up my whole leg, it's blue, it's pink, it's beautiful. It's a flute of champagne. And I thought, even if it does sag, it'll turn into a glass of rosé, right? No problem. And then I thought, somebody said to me at one of my events after I'd gotten the tattoo, they said, Leslie, when you're 80 years old on the golf course, it'll look like a snifter of cognac. (laughs) That's awesome. All good things. All good things. So, Oh, my gosh. Having having a glass of champagne and some, some... Truffle potato chips would just be the last bite before heaven, I think, right there. Beautiful. Do you cook? Are you a cook? Oh, I do. I cook a lot. I am not a chef, but I am a a hearty cook. (laughs) Well, good for you. I think a lot of people, obviously, food and wine for me just goes hand in hand. But when I'm in the kitchen cooking, I've got to have a cocktail, bubbles, a glass of wine. It just, it, it has to be. Absolutely. Come home and you have that five o'clock glass of wine and, and, you know, it's, it does transition your day. And so I do love to, that's what I love about cooking. I'm not a recipe follower. I may, oh, that looks good. Let me see. Oh, I can make that risotto. I'll just yep. tweak it a little bit. Yep. Uh, which is why I'm not a baker. I'm not a very good baker. I will have to say that. My sister in France is this amazing baker. Um, but she puts, you know, she puts Martha Stewart to shame. She'll go out and pick her her blackberries and her raspberries on her property. You'll watch the show. I'll send you the link to the to Love, the Normandy yeah. show and watch her. You know, she'll go out and harvest her eggs from the chickens out in the you know in the yard and make her raspberry jam and do her own foie gras and you know bake these beautiful croissants and you know and uh, I just make a good a good pasta a good. <laughs> 
I'm with you. I'm, good. I'm a good whip it together cook. Yeah, I'm not a baker. I'm definitely a cook. I don't like to follow recipes. I look at it, then I'm like, Psh, I got it. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah, mm -hmm. fantastic. But it's important, it's important to us, and we sit down and we talk. Our son's 19 now, and he he sits and chats with us at dinner. And mm. the other day, we were having conversations. We've had, you know tons of political conversations and conversations about his psychology class. And the other day we're sitting at dinner and over a glass of wine, not him, us. And he's asking about, you know, the history of Pangea and how the continents, you know, were formed and moved. And I thought, you know, this is what sitting down to dinner is about. And it's the way I grew up. And it's, it's something that wine and food facilitate is this connection with people. Mm -hmm. I so. grew up the same way. Dinner was it wasn't always fancy, but you sat down at the table and you had it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and, it, and it forces conversation and it get, you know, you, you get some beautiful moments out of it. You do. And you connect. My favorite, my favorite moments of a, especially a really good meal is when you're done eating and you can just kind of sit there and finish the rest of your wine in your glass. And it's just like, right. dinner's done. I know I'm not doing the dishes. Husband's doing the dishes and I can just relax. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, and that's it. I know my husband is the dish doer. That's our that's our our good you know equality in the marriage is that I cook and he'll do the dishes. Amen. It is the best. It is put it in your vows, people. Put it in your vows. That's it's right. The best. That's right. All right, we are going to wrap up and get to the final three. But I just before before we end it, thank you so much. I share. I just so appreciate you sharing your smarty pants brain with with me and everybody. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that, but thank you. I do love to share my passion, and I, I and I love to share it with uh, with smart, amazing women like you. So. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing with us. Okay, final three, uh, best advice you have ever been given. Um. Oh, I have so much. Uh, my mother has many lines that I quote all the time now to my kids. And I'm going to pick one that's particularly appropriate for right now. This too shall pass. Oh, yes. This too shall pass. So, you know, it could be a terrible day. It could be a terrible time. But, you know, look forward because this too shall pass. Mm. My, my mom still says that to me. And she usually follows it up with something like, the only thing we really can depend on is change. Things will, mm -hmm. the good will change, the bad will change. So. Yeah, this too shall pass. I've heard that quite a bit in my life. Can I share one more that I tell people all the time? It's share there lots. Are no there are no unrealistic goals, only unrealistic deadlines. So you can accomplish anything you want. Sometimes it won't happen in a year or six months. It might take two years, three years, five years, but there are no unrealistic goals. Fantastic. That's good stuff. And you share that with, with people that you talk to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. good. Uh, happy place. What's your happy place? Oh, I think you just described it there, sitting on a couch eating truffle chips with a with glass of champagne. <laughs> Other than that, it's the bathtub. You know, I love taking baths. Nice. <laughs> I'm a bath person. Nice. Okay, and I think we already know this answer, but your final meal? Going back to the going back to the bubbles and truffle potatoes. Truffle chips, although I will say, I will end it as a true Midwesterner from Chicago. I will say that a simple grilled filet mignon with a gorgeous glass of, of Cabernet Sauvignon is just about the best thing as well. Yes. You don't need much meat. You just need the best and a quick grill, a quick sear on it and a gorgeous glass of red wine and yep. pretty perfect. Our final meals are 
next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for all the vegans in no. there, but <laughs> hey, you can't you can't help but uh, what what you love for sure. Um, Leslie, thank you so much. If you are uh, listening to this podcast, you can do so pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us, but you can also watch it at ktvl.com and on YouTube. Just search Off Script with Trish Gloss. One more time, Leslie Sabraco. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you, my dear. Mille grazie.